Thank you very much, Ashley. El Shaddai, name of God in the Old Testament, means powerful, to nourish, to satisfy, supply. As we think about our study tonight, God is able, he's powerful to take care of us in the world in which we live. We live in interesting times. I guess any day and age in which people live were interesting times. But on the world scene, we deal with ISIS. We made a treaty with Iran, and probably many people would say we were not wise to make a treaty with Iran because it's not going to stand. We deal with an immigration crisis, a lot going on in Syria. And if you read about the Mideast at all, you know, there's just a lot of hot spots over there that often aren't on the news. In the national scene, we have an election coming up and some interesting words being said about one another on the part of political candidates. I'm surprised how many shootings were in the last couple of weeks. You know, I think, ah, another shooting, you know, where someone went into a place of business or whatever and shot some people. We have a drug situation. Some of those running for president would like to build a wall you know, between the U.S. and Mexico. We also have many proud people in our world, and that's been true since the beginning of time. It's my way. Proud person is slow to listen. They don't want to admit wrong. And tonight we want to begin to look at a short book in the Old Testament. In fact, the shortest prophecy, Obadiah. And if you wonder where Obadiah is, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum. So it's there, only 20 verses, but uh, a lot packed into those verses. We want to read through the entire book together tonight, and then we will introduce the book and spend a few weeks in studying Obadiah. I think it's very applicable to the day and age in which we live. It's a tremendous encouragement, you know, and confronts us in various ways. But Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will not destroy the wise will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. Your warriors, O Teman, will be terrified, and every one in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, 
You will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloft, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not look down on your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor look down on them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. All you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But O Mount Zion, but on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and the house of Jacob will possess its inheritance. The house of Jacob will be fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. The house of Esau will be stubble. For they will be set, or it, for they will set it on fire and consume it. There will be no survivors from the house of Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and the people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. Their company, or this company of Israelite. Exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zephyrath. The exiles from Jerusalem or in Sepharah will possess the towns of Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Sinai to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdoms will be the Lord's. I'm going to pose a question, I'm going to answer it. Why even listen to what Obadiah has to say? Let me give you a couple of reasons. To live with confidence in a messed up world, in a messed up country. I think Obadiah gives us a lot of confidence in the Lord, and that will come out not only tonight but in weeks to come. But also to know and experience the Lord so that you can point others to him through your lifestyle and verbally. To understand pride and the Lord's view of it. Here we have national pride. Edom was a very, very proud nation. And to understand and experience the Lord's timetable in sowing and reaping as a nation, as a church, as a family, and as an individual. And I think all of those are found as we go through Obadiah. We find that Obadiah is structured around two interrelated themes. First of all, the destruction of Edom. In verse 1, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. That is against Edom, against Esau. In verse 8, In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom? 
men of understanding in the mountains of Esau. That's one theme, but related to that is the vindication of Judah. Referred to by the names of Jacob, Jerusalem, Mount Sinai. And that's referring to the broader context of Israel as a whole. So we're dealing with Edom and Esau and Teman, referring to the same nation. We're also Judah is being spoken of, spoken of as Jacob, Jerusalem, Mount Sinai. Obadiah, we have a message from the Sovereign Lord in verse 1. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have the abasement of Edom in verses 2 through 9. Their pride is mentioned, and the Lord clearly says, I'm going to deal with you as a nation. The charge against Edom, the reason for their being judged, is found in verses 10 through 14. And basically, it's because of how Edom treated their brother. And we'll look at the history of that, Lord willing, next week. And then we find in verses 15 through 21, the day of the Lord. And we know that that is yet future. Obadiah is the one who received the vision. Obadiah means servant of Yahweh or servant of the Lord. Obadiah, if you check it out, you could find 12 Old Testament characters by that name. We know very little about this Obadiah. It just says the vision of Obadiah. No, a lot said about him, who he was. There's been some debate over the date of when Obadiah may have been written. But the prophecy seems to be a clear response to a time when Jerusalem was overrun by foreign armies in which the Edomites should have stood beside them and instead they must have collaborated in some way for the destruction of Jerusalem. And remember, Edom and Israel are related. Goes back to Esau. And who was Esau's brother? Jacob. Jacob. They were blood brothers. And we're coming to something hundreds of years later. But yet the Lord says, you know, you've been proud and have not responded. So I think the best possible date is probably sometime after 586 B.C. Because we know that Israel was overrun, or Judah rather, I should say, was overrun by Babylon in 606 B.C., 596 B.C., and then 586 B.C. And after 586 B.C., we know the temple was destroyed, the walls were destroyed, and basically Jerusalem was left desolate. And I'm inclined to say sometime after that, this vision of Obadiah was shared. Now you think about Edom and where Edom is. We find a map. Edom ran, you know, right here towards the southern part of the Dead Sea. 
South, it was about 100 miles in length and about 30 miles wide. It was situated between the trade routes of Egypt and the trade route for uh, the country of Syria. So people would pass through Edom, caravans would pass through Edom, and Edom would tax the caravans for coming through. And because of its natural strength, cliffs would rise over 5,000 feet above sea level. Some of you may have heard the word Petra, you know, caves and so on. That would have been in Edom at that time. It was very easily to, or easy to fortify the nation. So they had natural defenses. That was part of the reason for their pride. Who's going to get us? But God is speaking. There were three major towns in Edom. Teman would have been to the south. Basra in the north. And then Selah. The capital would have been more central, and that would have been where Petra is. And if you know anything about Petra, you know there's a lot of caves there. And uh, basically you could go and spend years and years there and probably never be found. You could see an enemy coming because there were canyons and, you know, get them before they get up to you. So it's a little background as it relates to Edom. Now, if you look at verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise and let us go against her for battle. I want you to notice a couple of things. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Sovereign is speaking of the one who is owner, he's master. He's in total and complete control. Sovereign. But he's also Lord. Lord means independent, self-existing one. The continuous one, he needs no thing, he needs no one to continue his existence. In verse 1, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. The end of verse 4, declares the Lord. In verse 8, in that day, declares the Lord. And then at the end of verse 18, the Lord has spoken. We're dealing with the one who is the independent, self-existing God of the universe. He's the owner, he's the master, he's in complete control. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. Edom was a nation. They'd been a small nation, but it had good defenses and so on. And it says, an envoy was sent to the nations. So someone is going to the nations... Rise and let us go against her for battle. 
An envoy was normally a human messenger sent. But the messenger, whoever the messenger was, was sent to the nations. Rise and let us go against her. Who's her? Edom. So Edom, the nations are going to go against Edom. To encourage the nations, rise and let us go against her for battle. Who is sending the envoy? In light of the text, who is sending? Pardon? To the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We've heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nation saying, Rise, you know, against her for battle. Now I want you to see a dual thrust here. The dual thrust of verse 1. It indicates two levels at which human history moves. The Lord is the ultimate mover. The Lord is the ultimate mover. Babylon came against Judah. Assyria came against Israel, the ten northern tribes. Now we find that nations are going to come against Edom. God is the ultimate mover. There is also an international Political alliance motivated only by callous self-seeking. We know that Edom was very callous. They were very proud. We know that Nebuchadnezzar was very proud and arrogant. So even when nations rise up with base motives, they serve the overriding purposes of God who sovereignly shapes human affairs through countless envoys of his own. The nations are deaf to that realm in which they serve unconsciously. Now go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah had a vision of God's holiness. He writes to Judah with encouragement, but also judgment. Isaiah 45, verse 1. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Now notice, the Lord is saying to his anointed, who's the anointed? Cyrus. Okay, Cyrus is the anointed. Was Cyrus 
a king of Israel or was he a king of another nation, non-Jewish nation? Non-Jewish. I think it's very important that we grasp this is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of. Here's the Lord, the universe, in essence, taking a hold of Cyrus's hand to subdue nations before him. And remember, one of those nations was the nation that had taken Israel to strip kings of their armor to open doors before him. Verse 2, I will go before you. Who's I referring to in verse 2? Referring to the Lord. I, the Lord, will go before you, who's Cyrus, and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze, will cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor. Though you do not acknowledge me, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. So here's a king that doesn't even acknowledge God. The Lord says, I'm working through him. And keep in mind that the Lord called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. When he was not and did not know God. It's the privilege and responsibility of Israel to walk in the knowledge of what it hears from the courts of the great king. I'm involved with Cyrus. Israel would have got this message through Isaiah. And they would have heard Isaiah say, look, I'm the Lord of Cyrus. They would have heard Nebuchadnezzar is my servant. So if we can in our minds picture as we look at history past, that world events take place ultimately with the Lord being the mover. But there may be an international political alliance motivated by callous self-seeking, but they're still fulfilling the will of the Lord. That is very, very free. So God allowed Edom to come into existence. What the Sovereign Lord says back to Obadiah now, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The mover of the universe is going to organize some nations, and they're going to deal with Edom. Basically, Edom 
is going to be no more. Now think about some applications to that. We can rest in the sovereignty of the Lord in the events of the world and of our nation. We don't need to be alarmed or fearful. The Lord is the ultimate mover of history. As believers in Christ, we should live with a deep, settled confidence. And I think that may open doors just to talk about our hope. There's deep concern, if you read it all, about the deal that the U.S. made with Iran. Have we ever considered that the Lord of the universe is working? You say it's not a good deal. God doesn't always work the way we work. If you observe what is taking place in Russia and some of the things Russia is doing, there may be some reason for concern. But have we considered that the mover of history is involved? Some people think we should have been in Iraq. Some say we shouldn't have been in Iraq, and I'm not debating one way or the other. But do we consider that God, the mover of history, is involved? We are coming up with an election. Some people say it depends who gets gets elected. We're down the tubes. I'm not going to debate that one way or the other. But do we have to worry and fret about the election if the mover of history is involved? I think we need to vote. We need to do our part. But the mover of history is still involved in world events. He hasn't ceased to be in control. Oh, we're doomed if so-and-so makes it, and if so-and-so makes it, we'll be much better off. Let's do our part, but let the mover of history. Let our confidence be in him, not in who may get elected. We do not have to attempt to figure out or explain world events in light of end times. There's nothing wrong in trying to maybe figure out some things that are happening in the Middle East and how nations are aligning and so on. But our confidence is in the Lord, not our explanation of the events. And again, we may try to say, well, this nation's aligning and they're doing this and doing that and that kind of fits in with prophecy. That's fine. But our confidence is not in our explanation. Our confidence is in the Lord. And I think we need to rest in the Lord. The heroes in Hebrews 11, which we looked at back in the fall, were called people of faith because they followed God without explanations. They didn't have all the answers. They didn't have all the explanations. But they knew they experienced God. That's so very, very critical. And I think in the world in which we live, but also 
in the world that has been around for thousands of years. I'm fearful, this is my perspective, that a large portion of the professing body of Christ communicates that we do not have confidence in the Lord as sovereign in our world and in our nation. Our excessive action in the political realm to bring about change indicates to non-believing world that we do not have a sovereign Lord. And I'm not saying don't do anything politically. I'm not saying don't vote. That's not my point. But when we almost get uptight, if certain things happen, I've been amazed with the Supreme Court justice dying. The battle that is already taking place, should Obama nominate a justice or should we wait for the next president? Can't we step back and say, let's rest in the sovereignty of God. Let's rest in the mover of the universe. Let's leave that up to him. We say one may be much better than the other. If we get a Republican, some people say you get a Republican president, we might get a different nominee than if Obama nominates someone. And I'm not saying don't discuss it, but can we trust God? You know, in a situation like that. What's going to happen in the Middle East? I don't know. Scripture says some things about that. (laughs) Know what's going to happen in the future. And I think we can rest that God is working. So we say Iran, you know, is going to get some nuclear power eventually. If they do, that's under God's sovereignty. So China is becoming a major power. I think that's under God's sovereignty. Well, look at what is happening in Russia and how they're doing some things. It looks like they want to move south one of these days. That's under God's sovereignty. Can we rest in that? The mover. Just as Obadiah says about Edom. You know, they're going to be removed. Question. How are we as parents and grandparents communicating the Lord's sovereignty to our children and grandchildren? Are we instilling in our children and our grandchildren a deep, deep confidence in God in light of world events? One of the values of the Old Testament. God dealt with Egypt, ten plagues. God brought Israel into the promised land. We know that Israel for a period of time did semi-well. And then we know that we had the ten northern tribes and the two southern tribes. Ten northern tribes went into captivity because the mover of history was involved. The two southern tribes, Judah, was taken by Babylon. The Lord was involved. We know that Babylon was taken when Belshazzar, you know, was, I would you say, in a drunken stupor almost, or where the king was in a drunken stupor. God moving. How do we communicate that to our children and our grandchildren? I think we need to. We shouldn't be instilling fear with our, within our kids. Oh, our nation's really getting bad. I'm not debating that. But isn't the Lord still the sovereign Lord? 
I'm sure Israel, the parents in Israel, Daniel's parents could have said, Daniel, really getting bad in Israel. King Nebuchadnezzar's coming. Don't worry. The Lord is sovereign. And where did Daniel and his three friends end up? In Babylon. And Daniel served under a number of kings. Several nations. Even in captivity, God was moving. That's one of the values of the prophets in the Old Testament. We say, Obadiah's judgment. Yes, on Edom. But it's revealing the heart of God, God's sovereignty, the mover of the universe since creation until we go into eternity. Any questions or comments? So my encouragement is live with confidence. So the world is messed up. When hasn't the world been messed up? You say the U.S. is messed up. I would ask again, when hasn't the U.S. been messed up? You read U.S. history. There's quite a few times in U.S. history where it wasn't very pretty. You read world history. It wasn't always pretty. But the sovereign Lord is sovereign. And I think we need that encouragement over and over again. So when you read the Old Testament prophets, see God working in history. I don't always like history. I'm sure you don't always like history. But God is sovereign in our world. Let's pray together. Father, we certainly don't always understand what happens in our world. Sometimes we have fear and we're concerned about what might happen in the world or in our nation. But I'm sure as we look back in history, that has been repeated time and time again. Whether it would be with England in World War I and World War II, whether it be with parents in Germany in World War I and World War II, whether it be with parents in Korea during the Korean conflict, or whether it be with Jewish parents when Nebuchadnezzar was coming and attacking the nation of Judah. We're not dealing with something new, Father, in world events today. So we can rest in you. We don't always like what is happening, and we're concerned about various things in our nation, and rightfully so. But may we live with confidence that you as a sovereign Lord are the mover behind the scenes. And you can use even evil nations to accomplish your purposes. And that comes out so very, very clearly as we think about the day of the Lord, which Obadiah mentions, and what is going to happen in the future. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.